Hi, everybody. I apologize that, um, you know, I updated my Zoom so that I could get that really cool fuzzy filter in the background and it screwed up everything. And so this morning, <clears throat> as I tried to log on, one thing it's not letting me do is be the host. It's letting me join Zoom meetings, but not be the host. So then I had a, had a panicked call with my assistant to uh, have her open up the Zoom. So some of you might've tried to get on this morning and it wasn't open yet, um, but I see that we have uh, almost 200 people. So we're, we're in a good place. Many of you made it, thankfully, and I'm really glad you're here. Um, so now I'm just gonna have to take a deep breath for myself because I have to get out of that mindset of um, panic that I had two seconds ago and just uh, be present with you all. I hope you can all hear me. <clears throat> if you can't, I know some of you will text me and tell me that I have a problem. Okay. So a, a group of us senior leaders from Central were in a meeting last week and we're trying to make decisions about a potentially groundbreaking and transformative decision for Central, which is about creating a whole new category called virtual membership. We have grown our community of live streamers, and especially in this last year, we have a huge number of people who not only watch services, but some of them join here for meditation or for many of the classes or clergy coffees that we have offered in the last year. Most of these people do not live in New York, have never stepped foot in Central physically, but we've heard from so many of them that they want to be members of Central, virtual members. So now making this decision has enormous implications for us. How do we staff it? What will, what will people expect from this kind of membership? Will it detract from our current members? And of course it has huge implications beyond Central. Will it hurt other small synagogues? Will it change the entire way that people relate to Jewish life? I could go on and on. And this meditation is not gonna be about debating virtual membership. But I just wanna say that we've been a little bit paralyzed. You should know this is not a new idea. We've actually been talking about virtual membership for more than four years. We keep putting it off. We keep saying we need to study it more. We need to learn more. We need to have more conversations. We need to bring in some experts. And someone on the team said, you know, if we're gonna do something this big, we have to be 100% sure. 100% sure. Now I want you to think for a moment about some of the biggest decisions you've made in your life. Were you 100% sure when you made them? And is that the right standard? Think about maybe one of the decisions that you've made in your life about marrying someone. Were you 100% sure? I think about how often I hear couples say that. How often is that the way they think about it retroactively, not necessarily the way they felt in the moment? <clears throat> now, in the season finale of Netflix's Master of None, and here I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert, the main character, Dev, who is played by, <coughs> excuse me, Aziz Ansari, and his long-term girlfriend, Rachel, they attend a friend's wedding, and afterward they get into a predictable quarrel that long-time um, couples who are not married often get into when they go to a wedding. Now, Dev admits that he doesn't feel as confident 
that Rachel is the one for him as his newly married friends feel about each other. And this conversation leads to uh, something I do not recommend in a relationship, which is the two of them deciding to assign percentages to how sure they feel about their relationship. And Rachel assigns a ranking of 70% compared to Dev's 80%. Now, Rachel insists that 70 is a good score and way above average, to which Dev retorts, I wouldn't even see a film if it was rated 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. And then he poignantly concludes, if we're not at 100%, then what is the point? The point is, if all of us are truly honest about what we cannot know, we could never be 100% sure of anything. Sometimes being 51% sure has to be enough to make one decision over another when you have to choose. I will tell you, I was not even close to 100% sure when I made the biggest professional decision of my life which was leaving my former synagogue in Scarsdale. I was completely tortured about this decision. And I had worked there since I was a college kid for 12 years. I loved the people in the synagogue and my colleagues. I think some of you are actually on this um, meditation circle with me. I mean, it's easy in retrospect to say, it was 100% the right choice for me and my family to have made the move. But at the time it felt so risky. There was so much potential failure. Central had gone through several canters in a row. And I really worried about raising my kids in the city. I had a ton of fear. I ultimately made my decision with a coin toss. Seriously. The coin toss was how I actually ultimately did a gut check. And then I went with my gut, but I was not anywhere close to 100% sure. Now, I might posit that being 100% sure is act actively the wrong goal. And I want to share one more teaching. It comes from Colin Powell, our former Secretary of State, who had to make decisions that were, that had life and death implications on a regular basis. He has a mental model that you should come to a point of action no sooner than necessary, and yet no longer than necessary. He says, anytime you face a difficult decision, you should have no less than 40% and no more than 70% of the information that you need to make that decision. Think about that. In that range, you have enough information to make an informed choice, but not so much intelligence that you lose your resolve and simply stay abreast of the situation. This makes you faster than most, quote, informed people and more informed than the, quote, fast people. In a sense, it's the best of both worlds. He says, you're actually making a mistake looking for 100% information and a foolproof plan where failure cannot exist because that's not actually a possibility. Many people who search for this don't realize they're searching for something that not only doesn't exist, but it acts to keep their own hands tied. 
most engage in over-analysis and research that turns into procrastination. So we need to shoot for a zone of information that makes them uncomfortable. How about that for a challenge for us? What would it feel like to make decisions from a zone of information that makes you uncomfortable, where you, you know enough to know that you don't know everything. Isn't that what life is? Because even if you think you know things for sure, that you're 100% sure, we can learn new information. Things can change. External things happen to us. Our positions or our life circumstances change. We get ill. A pandemic happens. Living in a zone of information that makes us uncomfortable is living with the humility that we cannot know everything. And the understanding that in life, everything changes. Often what holds us back from making decisions is fear, fear of failure, fear of hurting ourselves or others, fear that we're cutting off our options. It feels impossible to rid ourselves of the fear that accompanies these big decisions, trying new things, making commitments, taking risks. In Hebrew, the word for fear is yira. Yira also happens to be the word for awe. Yira is used in the Torah most frequently to describe our stance towards God. We should fear God. We should be in awe of God. Those, those words are interchangeable. And in many ways, that makes a lot of sense. Fear and awe being interchangeable. To explain, I want to share a story. Several years ago, I was in the desert of Arizona on a via ferrata, which is like a rock climb that has little iron um, holds on a ladder up rocks. Anyway, we got to a giant suspension bridge over this enormous canyon. It was a hundred feet down, if you looked down. And the, the suspension bridge was like, <laughs> I don't know, it was literally one rope that had like uh, two, um, rope handles coming off of it, but you were basically walking across a single rope line with handles. It was incredibly scary. I kept saying, as I stepped onto this suspension bridge, I kept saying in my head the mantra from the movie Shrek, don't look down. Well, my heart was beating. I was sweating. I did not want to look down. I just kind of kept putting one foot in front of the other, trusting that the next step was there. At some point, which was about three quarters of the way across the bridge, I started to actually believe that I was going to get across in one piece. And I finally breathed. And when I breathed, I was able to actually look around with awe at my surroundings. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was in awe of my own courage <laughs> and I felt exhilarated as I stepped finally on the other side and realized that on that tiny rope, I could cross from one side of a giant canyon to another. Now, the thing is, 
our bodies experience fear and awe with almost the same exact physical sensations, an elevated heart rate, a rush of blood, sweaty palms. The difference between fear and awe is our breath. You can transform fear into awe with breath. So when we're making these big decisions in life, say taking a leap to commit to a person or to a new job or trying something very hard, instead of merely feeling all the fear, can we breathe into it and experience the awe? Can you appreciate the wonder that this decision could bring, that you marvel at all the possibilities that are there? And don't try to get to be 100% sure about it. Aim to be in that zone of discomfort where you know just enough to breathe through it and leap. So I'm gonna invite you, if you don't already, have your eyes closed. Let's offer up our gratitude for this morning, for all the possibilities of this day. Thank you, God, for the gift of this day. I'm going to invite you to keep breathing because that breath is transformative. And if you want a mantra, I suggest Yira, which means both fear and awe. And you might be working through something in your own mind, or you might try to empty your mind. But whenever it floats away, I invite you to just come back to Yira or to your breath and to take a few moments here and don't mind the time.
All right. I'll invite us to come out of that meditation. Keep adding that breath in your life. And um, just want to say how much I love being back with everybody. Uh, it's such a beautiful circle. And it really feels powerful to uh, start my day. And I look forward to this already every week. Um, you're welcome to invite friends to join us as well. I'm going to send you off with this sung blessing. Ye Adonai Adonai Tsuri Vego Ali Vego Ali Have a blessed day. See you next week.